Hey everyone, welcome to the Mentwarmers on this beautiful uh, 9th, 13th day of Adar, as a matter of fact. Happy Purim! Purim Sameach, everyone. You may notice that I'm not Jamie, if you're a regular listener. That's hey. right. Yeah. It's a special episode this week. Um, Jamie is off uh, celebrating. He, he was part of a really wonderful, disgusting tradition, which is the birth of a child. Um, and we're, he's being replaced by a guest host tonight, our regular producer, Alex Rose. Hey, how's it going? You may know me from <laughs> the Canadian Jewish Schmooze and uh, other podcasts. Our sister podcast. That's yeah. right. We've got a, a really friendly network here. Uh, somewhat of a minion of podcasts coming soon. And uh, <laughs> Alex is is part of our family, and, and we're happy to have him. Uh, how's your week going? How's your Purim thus far? Um, my Purim's good. I didn't do anything especially different for it today. Had some home intention at home. I guess that counts. That counts. That's a Purim yeah. thing. I went to a spiel on Saturday night. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. It, it's not the same as uh, when you're in university or or school and everyone's dressing up and it's like a whole big di- to do. Did you have any wild porn parties in uh, where'd you go? Dell? Yeah, at Dell. Uh, we had an AE Pie porn party one year. That was that was pretty fun. <laughs> uh-huh. You were an AE Pie. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, we started a chapter out there. I think it was like the third attempt. Uh-huh, <laughs> the right. first two had failed. Yep. <laughs> this one still exists. We'll see. Uh, shout out to the brothers out there. I, I've I've spoken <laughs> to them. Do they listen to the podcast? They will now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, they have a shout out. Oh, that's. I, I went to McGill and we. It was usually the craziest party of the year. Was mm. uh, was Purim. Um, I may have told this story before, but I, we one year we brought my Catholic roommate to Purim. Uh, his name was Christopher. He dressed up as a leprechaun, full on yeah, thing, and that tracks. <laughs> in, introduced himself as uh, Sam the whole night. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm Sam. Just because saying, hey, I'm Chris at the Purim party would have gotten a lot of side looks. <laughs> but Chabad Purim at McGill, it had, we had a, a candy room and there was a good Megillah reading going on with a lot of banging and a lot of Haman yelling and uh, all the booze you could drink. Sounds fun. And <laughs> Sounds a, like a Led Zeppelin cover band of dudes with payas and full Hasidic <laughs> looks. It's amazing. With the dance floor separated by men and women, of course. Oh, the mechitza on the dance floor? On the dance floor. <laughs> it was See, fantastic. Hillel was bigger in Halifax than Chabad was. Uh-huh. Um, but it probably still wasn't as big as either were out in Montreal because there just aren't so many Jews. <laughs> yeah, Chabad was a, it was a big deal, um, at least for the Jews. There were, the Chabad people would sort of really come at you on campus. I don't know if that happened to you, but I'm sure it's happened downtown Toronto. Excuse me, are you Jewish? <laughs> They sort of take a look at you and, and do it. It's happened, yeah. It's happened on Eglinton. I don't know if that counts as downtown. Yeah, it but... counts. I've had it happen in front of the JCC on Bloor before. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a Jewish community thing. Somebody comes up, I really just want to say no, see if they're confused or pretend to be Italian or, or uh, yeah, South American or something. They know. <laughs> they know, exactly. No, and frankly, I don't care for the people, I could say. But if they knew who I am, that wouldn't work. <laughs> um. Anyway, so happy Purim, everyone. Eat some hamantashen and enjoy. Uh, we have a really exciting show tonight. I uh, Today I spoke, and Alex and I spoke to former Survivor winner Ethan Zahn. Do you think Survivor is a sport, Alex? I mean, it's certainly physical enough to be a sport and competitive to be enough, enough to be a sport. And yet I'm not sure. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's competition. The same way that, like, poker is competition or auto racing is competition. So what they're, keeps they're both Survivor from demanding. being a sport, though? I think it's sort of the contrivance of of it being prepared. I mean, I also believe pro would wrestling. You say, is would a you sport. say it's an athletic endeavor? I would say it's an athletic endeavor, okay. and it's competition. It is an athlete. There are many athletic, athletic competitions right. involved. Do you think the heptathlon is a sport or a competition composed of 
multiple sports. Uh, I, yeah, that's ooh, that's a good question. That's a, do we have any Jewish heptathletes yeah. we can interview for their opinion on this? <laughs> we'll have to look out for them. Is it you know, or there's the heptathlon? It was supposed to be one sport, but by a great miracle, it lasted seven. <laughs> it should be the official sport of Hanukkah. Yeah, the officials the heptathlon. We could call it the octathlon and yeah. add in kvetching or something <laughs> as the eighth. Uh, but so let's let's say for the sake of this conversation, for the sake of the day, and for the sake of our podcast, that yes. Survivor is a sport. Soccer so, is also definitely a sport. Soccer is Ethan's also definitely also a sport. <laughs> but that's that's somewhat secondary to yeah. what he's noted for. Um, that's true. We have great Jewish athlete and competitor, great Jewish competitor, <laughs> Ethan Zahn, former Survivor winner. He'll come on later and talk about what he did with his money, uh, what he's doing now, uh, sort of with his life, uh, his experiences being a Survivor and being a Jewish Survivor, as well his... Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at the connotation there because, I mean, the There's Jewish a, survivor. The Jewish survivor, it's a loaded term. Yeah. And we'll get into that <laughs> yep, in the conversation, yep. <laughs> the loaded term. Um, as well, sort of his his own take on celebrating Purim, um, which is pretty out there mm-hmm. uh, specifically. He, he We sort of tap into something that I'm not going to ruin it for you, but talk to you. But before we get to that Ethan Zahn interview, a couple of other interesting things happening in Jewish sports this week. We, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about the miracle mm-hmm. that is happening at Yeshiva University? Well, if, if playing to sold-out crowds is a miracle, I guess every crowd is sold out when no one's there because Yeshiva University has made yep. the... What, what tournament is this? It's the D3 tournament. Yeah. So, the, you know, the March Madness for D3. Yeah. Yeah, so Yeshiva University... March uh, a yeah. little bit of intensity. <laughs> a little Meshuggah. Yeah, exactly. March, March a little Meshuggah. <laughs> so, March Broigus. Just call it that. <laughs> So they qualified, and I don't know, have they qualified before? Do you know? No, it's the first time. Okay. But, and they won their league. Yeah. And the first tournament game ever, and they won. Yeah. And then. You know, I think you should take it from you here. You sure? Then. Yeah. Okay. And then, well, they won their first game, uh, and they then uh, sort of immediately before their, their, we reported this on our Twitter, but immediately before their game, they were kicked out of their hotel as two members of the Yeshiva University community, neither of whom are on the basketball team. Tested positive for the uh, the coronavirus, um, but we we did learn it was a Jewish owned hotel. So it was probably not an act of intentional sabotage for someone who was very jealous of the Yeshiva University team. Yeah, or um, anti semitism, as a few people may have implied on Twitter. Exactly, um, but we don't believe it was such. But uh, shortly thereafter, they they won their first game. They relocated to another hotel, and lo and behold, they won yet another game. And now they've won two. Uh, and they're heading to their third game. Hopefully, they won't have lost by the time this airs, or they, they hopefully they will kill, keep winning and go yeshiva. Let's uh, we're we're really enjoying them. It's a fully Jewish university, a fully Jewish basketball team with a Jewish coach, Jewish players, uh, and we're pretty hyped about that here on the Mentor. So the, they're they're the Cinderella story, yeah. or yeah, we the need, uh, the we'll, Wise Men of Helm story. I don't know <laughs> if there's a Jewish Cinderella adjacent. I'm sure, story. there's some folk tale if we think long enough. So. There is when I Google Jewish Cinderella, um, I find a a Cinderella story translated from Hebrew called Rizal's Riddle. Yep, um, which <laughs> sounds about right. It, yeah, as well as a different one, the Jewish Cinderella. Uh, the Cinderella tale is called Meat Love Salt, which seems to have something to do with maybe a woman being transformed into a steak <laughs> or the uh, a slipper made of salt that fits perfectly on her body. You know, with a Jewish twist to it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, that feels sort of pretty much that's that's our literary corner for the day. Yeah. Talking about why way the way meat loves salt in our 
that's how you, that's what we feel yeshiva is is really bringing to the d3 basketball community uh another news from the story of basketball after the firing of uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers coach, whose name I, I don't really... John Balin, but John I might be saying that wrong. Bylin, Bialin, John, John Bialik. <laughs> uh, with the, the firing of John Bialik. John Beeline. John Beeline, that's right. I uh, think that's the one. Lindsay Gottlieb, yes. the Jewish former uh, University of Berkeley women's head coach, and now she's now a first-row assistant coach in the NHL. So uh, NBA. NBA, sorry, in the NBA. She's now, I guess, in a race with uh, Brittany Donaldson and Becky Hammond, two other... Frontline assistant coaches mm-hmm. in the NBA to be that first for the Raptors and Spurs, right? The Raptors and Spurs to be that first uh, head coach. Um, so uh, good luck, Lindsay. Yeah, and Mazel Tov on the promotion w- with Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert. <laughs> that's the front office trifecta. Well, I don't know if the coach is a front office, but all they need is a player and <laughs> to they, win the. They fit the Jewish, Jewish sports team bingo. So yeah, we did look it up. I don't think they necessarily have a specific Jewish player. However. Uh, there is one player on the Cleveland Cavaliers on their roster. He he is not Jewish. I'm not gonna say Wait, what's his what's his first name? He's not Jewish, but Sir Dominic Pointer. So you're telling me Sir Dominic a guy? Sir Dominic Pointer, Pointer is, is not Jewish. However, <laughs> he is from Detroit. He's 27 years old, and he did play for both Hapoel Elat and Irioni Kiryatata in Israel. So he's sort of maybe he's Jewish adjacent, Someone, like like Anthony Parker. Like Anthony Parker is Jewish. We'll be following. Is we'll he be, number 18 also? He wears 15, unfortunately. Oh. I know. Um, but we will be following uh, the Big East co-defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, who and now, the most Jewish team in the NBA. And the most Jewish team in the NBA, exactly. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Owner, hopefully, GM, and coach. Hopefully they can win their 15th game sometime soon. Yeah. Um, and, and bring... Maybe they, they settle with 18 wins. You could be the worst team in the league, but if you settle on 18 wins, I think that's good luck that's for the a Jewish, Jewish team. Yeah. That's the... That's the they uh, win another... Draft lottery. <laughs> That's right. Take that would be a, good luck. As I write this, they're losing to another bad team. Um, but if they could settle right on 18 wins, that would be pretty terrific. Yeah, so, really, something to play for this year. Exactly. Uh, we've talked about uh, Yeshiva. We've talked about Lindsay. One other piece of news. Um, fascinating story out of The Guardian this week. Uh, Hungarian Olympic gold medalist from 1952. Uh, Eva, her name I believe is Eva or Ewa. Ava Zeke, uh, spelled S-Z-E-K-E-L-Y, uh, but I believe it's pronounced Zeke, okay. who pretended she was dead to avoid a Nazi firing squad on the Danube. Oh, my God. Uh, survived and then went to the 1952 Olympics and won a gold medal. And she died this week at the age of 93. Wow. That's um, quite the story. That's not what I was expecting. No. I, hey, I was happy you didn't know that. She had six world records. Uh, 44 national Hungarian titles. Oh, my God. Um, and, uh, what and, a hero. And, yeah, and, and she lasted she, she, she lasted a very long time with a true hero, um, Holocaust survivor, and is now uh, uh, hopefully being well-remembered in both England, where they wrote about her, and in her home country of Hungary, where I believe she lived the rest of her life. Have you ever been to Budapest? I've never. They have a memorial there called Shoes on the Danube, actually, where I don't know if she's from there and that's the shooting she avoided, but right on the banks of the river where they took some Jewish people to be shot, they, I guess it's a bronze monument of just the shoes yep. that are there that they, yeah. you know, where they were taken off. Oh, that's and I guess that's That must that's be on the, on the side of the Danube. She must have been involved in there. She also had a daughter who was also an Olympic medalist, um, which is very, very exciting. For um, Hungary also? For Hungary also, many years later. Um it, and 
her daughter uh, won at the 1972 Olympics, which is actually, you know, obviously the K, the time of the Black September uh, massacre, um, where she was very close with the Israeli team at the time. Um, But uh, she was very open and public about her Jewishness at allegedly a time where very few Hungarians were post-Holocaust, where there was still a lot of anti-Semitism, as well a lot of uh, sort of issues and, and, and racism in the community. Um, but she she believed that it was proud to be Jewish, and she was uh, really wanted to be uh, defy stereotypes. So both her and her daughter lived with that ethos, um, and she will be remembered fondly by not just the menschwarmers, but obviously Jewish athletes all over the world. Yeah, um, and yeah, no, it's quite a story. I think uh, we also want to talk about the upcoming baseball and soccer seasons. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of, I mean, obviously we're, we want to let you guys know we're paying attention to uh, Rowdy Telez of the Blue Jays, Alex Bregman, even though he's in a bit of a Shonda. Mm, yeah, yeah. We're... Uh, Colorado, uh, that's in baseball. Jock Peterson, uh, not traded recently, but obviously somebody we'll be watching out for on L.A., um, as well, uh, a couple of players in the MLS, obviously our dreadlocked hero, Kyle Beckerman, some, uh, there's Zach McMath, the goalkeeper for also for Salt Lake city. Um, and if you know of any other Jewish players in the MLS or in, uh, the European leagues coming up now, please let us know and we'll, uh, we'll dig deeper into it. Yeah. Any, any fun stories? We're always looking for, you know, interesting Jewish stories of athletes that we haven't discussed on the podcast before. So. So with that added, with that uh, said, the an interesting Jewish athlete we haven't discussed before. Uh, please, uh, after this quick break, enjoy our uh, time with Survivor. I guess, as he calls it, the Jewish guy from Survivor, <laughs> Ethan Zahn. Oh, hey! Thanks for uh, coming on our show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, uh, just I don't know how much Alex has. But you and he produces the show for us. We're the Mench Warmers, uh, talking about any sort of thing to do with Jews and sports. And as far as I'm concerned, survivors of sport. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I agree. It's uh, it's the ultimate sporting event of all time. Absolutely. And uh, happy Purim, by the way. Thank you. Exactly. Happy Purim. Did you guys uh, celebrate? Um, so we're in Toronto. Uh, a number of Forum celebrations around the city have been canceled uh, oh, right, right. due to the, you know, pandemic and whatnot. Um, but I, when I was in college, the craziest party of the year, no matter what, what year it was, was always Forum. Like you'd go to Chabad or Hillel or something, and there would be like, you know, rabbi passed out on the floor and <laughs> crazy costumes and stuff like that. Did you know it? Yeah. Uh, no, no. My wife and I are, um, you know, we, not that this has anything to do with anything, but we go to Burning Man. So we kind of oh. get our, our dressing up in costumes every year out of our system. So that's don't your really Purim. Do it so much on, that's my Purim, yes. I, that, that's a, I think there's a, a rich vein of comedy there. Uh, the Burning Man is <laughs> the Purim for a certain set. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So that's awesome. Well, welcome. Um, why don't we start, let's, Introduce yourself to our uh, our listeners. You know who you are, why you're notable, and uh, that you are Jewish. So uh, please introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Ethan Zahn. I'm the Jewish winner of Survivor Africa, <laughs> and uh, I'm also a former professional soccer player, uh, two-time cancer survivor, 
and I do a lot of work in philanthropy. Uh, that's amazing. I'd, I'd love to hear more about all of that, especially, I mean, talk about, I know your philanthropy involves a lot it, dealing with the game of soccer um, and sort of spreading that to a lot of places in the world. Uh, and, and I'd love to hear, hear more about that. But first, are you the only Jewish survivor winner? I was the only Jewish survivor winner until a few years ago when a guy by the name of Adam Klein ended Adam up Klein. winning... Adam Klein, a Jew, a fellow tribe mate, you know. Um, you know, we are part of a tribe that goes, doesn't go back just like 40 TV seasons, goes back 5,700 years. So I felt okay with him winning, but definitely it was a blow to my ego uh, having been dethroned from the only Jewish survivor winner. <laughs> I, I think, you know, one day you get all of the Jewish contestants in the Levi tribe uh, yeah. on some island somewhere. Survivor so I actually had to change my last my last name. My last name, like my whole life, my name has been Ethan Zong, you know, like growing ah. up, that's what it's like. But after I won Survivor and, you know, hanging out in all these Jewish communities that I do work with, it's, it's my, I had to officially change my last name. So my first name is still Ethan, but my last name is the Jewish guy from Survivor. And that's just like all <laughs> one word. Oh, that's hysterical. I mean, I, I bet it could be, you know, the middle name in brackets, sort of what you've been. Right, exactly. Since the... Oh, that's that's great. So, are you? Uh, is your family Jewish? Are you still practicing? Yeah. So, I, I, I was born um, into a conservative Jewish family. Um, yeah. I had a pretty, you know, fun um, community growing up. I was heavily involved with, you know, Hebrew school. Had my bar mitzvah. I played, you know, on all the little Jewish sports leagues. I played in the Maccabi games as a youth. Um, and so, yeah, being Jewish um, has always been a, a huge part of my life. Uh, in high school, I won the B'nai B'rith Award a few years in a row. And so, yeah, being a Jewish athlete has been a huge part of my, um, you know, my upbringing. That's, that's amazing. Uh, love to hear more about the Matavia Games. What was that like? Sure. So I played in Detroit when I was in high school. And then in college, um, I tried out for, um, you know, the 94 team, 93 team didn't make it. Then I tried out against the 97 team and made it and went over to Israel to play in the Maccabi games. Um, and that was the year that the bridge lapsed. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. This is uh, 1997. And we were all lining up to go into Ramakan Stadium and like the bridge that they built collapsed and a, a few members from the Australian delegation ended up falling down and, and passing away. So it put a really oh, no. interesting spin yeah, on, on the games that year. But for me, I mean, this was really my first trip to Israel and my, you know, interacting with other athletes that were Jewish was just an incredible moment for me. You know, I was... I know I was I hung out with the cricket team from India. So we're talking oh, Indian so cool. Jewish athletes, you know, South African Jews that I never met before, British Jews, we got some Ethiopian Jews there. So like for me to all of a sudden, you know, leave the United States and my little sheltered community and just be my eyes were opened up to a whole new world of of Jewish people and ath athletics and that was just a huge uh, instant connection for me and it just made sense. There's a, a really interesting history to the Maccabi Games. Uh, we actually covered it on an early episode, maybe six months ago. But they, one of the reasons they were invented was in the time of British Palestine, 
they were a way to sort of spirit Jewish people into the country that wouldn't have otherwise be let in unless they got this special visa to participate, and then they would just stay. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and I actually did try to stay. I stayed after to try to play, <laughs> tried to play professional in Israel. Didn't work out for me, but uh, but yeah, that was definitely part of my trajectory. And then uh, yeah, I made the 2001 team, but it was actually canceled um, because of uh, some some danger over there at that time. And since then, I ended up coaching the uh, Open team in the 2004. Uh, Pan American Maccabia Games, and I'm oh. now just recently made the over 45 U.S. men's national soccer team, and we're really getting ready to go to Israel in 2021 again. So just about oh wow, congratulations on that! Oh my God, yeah, I don't know if you should congratulate me on that. It's probably a bad decision. As a goalkeeper, like. You know, I'm not supposed to be diving around at age 46 years old, I'll tell you that. I can dive, but I can't really get back up. That's the issue. Mm. I, that's usually the problem. And right. I, I feel like, I mean, I'm not quite 46, but I'm about 30, and I find things just sort of ache that didn't ache before. <laughs> and you think about, like, your, you know, when you were a kid or your parents just sort of complaining all the time, that's very much how I feel. So I can imagine yeah. what it would be like to do a lot of diving. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, so we had a tournament a couple of weeks ago um, that we played in in Florida. It was pretty fun, though. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's for me. It's about the the community. It's about the camaraderie. It's about hanging out with a bunch of my Jewish buddies and just kind of uh, you know being together. You know, it's rare at this age I'm able to play in like a team sport with. You know, we really do want to win. We're all training. We're getting fit. We have a coach. We have a strength and conditioning coach. So it's, we're taking it seriously. So it's been nice to be in this team environment after so many years. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, I mean, that's that's it's something you will miss forever, right? And it's something very yeah. unique, I think, to our community is that Jews can come together and just sort of talk about being Jewish, regardless of the context. I've got yeah. a question, actually. Uh, Ethan, oh, you're... Yeah. Joking about how it's hard to get back up, but obviously there's just that the log challenge on, on the edge in the recent Survivor episode. Uh, it seems like you were getting back up a lot there. So I don't know, for our listeners <laughs> who, who don't know the show, are you able to explain what the challenge was and, and you know, the what you went through in that experience? Sure. Yeah, I'm always happy to talk about uh, Survivor. I mean, people are asking about that, and I just, uh, you know, the, so basically it's Survivor Season 40. It's titled Winners at War, for everyone who's listening who isn't a fan of the show or doesn't know much about it. Basically, they brought back 20 of the most popular Survivor winners of all time to compete again for $2 million rather than $1 million. And the format of the show this year is when you're voted off, you don't actually go home. You go to this place called the Edge of Extinction, which is basically like purgatory. It's like life between – it's in the game. It's between life and death, and there's different ways you can – try to win these fire tokens or win different ways to get back into the real game. So um, there's this epic, brutal log challenge where we basically had to walk up and down a hill 20 times. And it may sound uh, a little bit, you know, not so hard, but when you're not eating and not sleeping and the hill is straight up and you got to do it 20 times. Let, Let me put it this way. They said, they gave us the clue at around 9 a.m., and they said, you have until sundown to finish. 
that's how hard it was. So I went up and down about 16 times and then my body just, <laughs> it just gave out and I, uh, I collapsed and fainted and they had to, uh, call in medical. <laughs> and, uh, but the moral of the story is I got up and with the help of the other three people that were on the edge of extinction with me, they helped me up that uh, last leg of the mountain and it was just wonderful, epic moment um of friendship and perseverance you know in the middle of this cutthroat game of survivor that's uh, i and do you think that's sort of what the show what the the best moments of the show are i know it's a leading um i mean i think any moment that i'm in are the best moments (laughs) 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 Um, well it wasn't my most proud moment on the show you know obviously i did everything in my power to get ready to go compete in the show survivor however i was having a bad day and i went out too fast and uh, my body just couldn't handle it but i think the show is uh interesting in in the sense that it's a game that touches on every part of you as a human being like mental physical social spiritual environmental and like financial i mean you're playing for two million bucks here so as an athlete or um, going into a game like this, you know, there are so many different aspects that you can train for, you can prepare for. Um, but once you get out there, it's just, it's, it's, it's completely, you know, you know, it changes, I guess you can say. And the beauty of the game is you can play a hundred different ways and you can win a hundred different ways. Um, you know, you can be a jock, you can be, you know, a, a, you know, a business person, you can be a jerk, a nice guy, so many different ways to play the game. And uh, that's what makes it so, so incredible. That's, that's very cool. Do you find it, I mean, you've done, obviously, you've done a lot of uh, physical challenges. I've read you've run marathons, you've obviously played very high level professional sports you continue to is survivor physically harder than that yeah i think it it's just different you know it's uh it's incredibly intense over a long period of time you're completely stripped from everything you feel comfortable with water food shelter friends family wi-fi atms you know my rabbi congregation all that stuff my wife hmm. cats everything you're put out there and basically you're stripped down to nothing. Um, and then you have to perform at your highest level um, and be able to deal with uh, like all the complexities of the game. And so it, it's, there's not one part of it that's harder than the other. You know, some people might be good at mind games and like manipulation and social side of things. Another person might be good at the physical side and challenges. The next person would be best at surviving and lighting fires and catching fish. So there's different ways you can excel within the game. Um, and it's just the person who does the best job at all of them um, or eliminating the people that, uh, you know, are better than them early on, right? So if you're weak at certain things and you see some dominant challenge guy, you got to get rid of him, right? Or you got to align with him so he can help you along the way. So it's a really fun game. Um, as coming in from an athletic, you know, that we're talking about mench warmers here, like yeah. coming in from an athletic, sporty side of it. Um, you know, I took the approach of, uh, you know, I feel more comfortable as an assistant coach out there. You know, I'm not necessarily the head coach type of guy. I don't like to stand up and bark orders and tell people what to do and, you know, create the game plans and all that stuff. But I'm good as the guy behind the guy. And what ends up happening is the head coach, 
he would complain to me about all the players, all the players would complain to me about the head coach, and I would just be able to filter that information, spit it out how I wanted it to, and be able to kind of uh, use that to my advantage to get ahead in the game. And uh, so that's kind of was my strategy going into it. That's, uh, did you ever watch The Sopranos? Yes. That sounds a lot like Hesh, the Jewish character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe it just runs in us. I mean, hey, we are survivors, right? We, I'm good at suffering. I'm Jewish. It's in my blood, it's in my DNA. That's why I did so well out there on Survivor. <laughs> that, uh, I've been, I, you know, I wrote this down a couple of weeks ago, and I really wanted to ask, do you remember the episode of Kerber's Enthusiasm where Larry goes to a dinner and he's told the survivor is going to be there and he's all somber and then he shows up and it's Colby? Of course. Of course. I, have, <laughs> I even have some backstory on that if you want the real backstory. Please. I'd love to. So it's I, a classic moment. Uh, exactly. I, along with Colby, this guy named Lex, and this guy named Brian Heideck, we are all asked to go audition for that part. So I got to go into a room and shoot the shit with Larry David and improv for this part. Oh, um, that's so cool. It was literally one of the highlights of my, you know, survivor kind of uh, whatever you want to call it after you win survivor. Um, and so I got in there and I listened. I was shooting the shit with Larry David. And uh, all they did was give you a, a little strip of paper and it told you the theme. It's like you are a television show survivor and you are at a dinner, exactly that, at a dinner with a bunch of Jewish Holocaust survivors. Um, and then what ended up happening, I obviously didn't get the part because Colby is like, you know, Mr. USA, Vanilla, you know, he is the perfect, uh, you know, cowboy looking guy to, to make this type of comedic uh, play. I think I was too close to the cause. I couldn't have a Jewish survivor kind of comparing my time on Survivor to the Holocaust. Mm. It didn't really go over so well. Um, I think it was too close. But for Colby to do it, it ended up being a, a funny bit, I think. Well, I mean, he's very obviously not Jewish, I think, which makes it even funnier. Very obviously not Jewish, yes. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I was it's very a, obviously Jewish. <laughs> it's a, that's a, I mean, it's a great bit, and that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing it with us. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but please tell me about uh, your charity work. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm heavily involved with an organization called Grassroots Soccer. That's actually what I used uh, the million dollars uh, for. I uh, used it to uh, co-found this charity called Grassroots Soccer. And I did that because uh, before Survivor, I lived and played professional soccer in Zimbabwe. And while I was in Zimbabwe, I kind of like witnessed firsthand what was happening with HIV and AIDS and how it was just destroying this community that I was now a part of. And I had a few friends that got on the team, the starting goalkeeper got sick with HIV and he was like kicked off the team and ended up living a, a horrible end to his life. Um, and so once I got off the show um, and had a little bit of money, I got a little bit of fame, met up with some soccer buddies of mine and we started this organization called Grassroots Soccer. And basically we use the sport of soccer to help change the behaviors of young boys and girls to make smarter choices in life. And uh, yeah, we just started in Zimbabwe in 2003 with about you know uh, seven eight schools and now we're in 50 countries and we graduated 2.3 million kids from the program oh that's amazing um, it's very mensch yeah putting the mensch in mensch warmers very mensch very mensch actually a funny story about when i first arrived in zimbabwe like one my wonderful overbearing jewish mother definitely didn't want me to go to, to africa and zimbabwe to play soccer She's mm -hmm. like, are there any Jewish people there? And I'm like, 
I don't know. I have, zero, I have no idea what even's going on over there. There's but four. There's man, four of them. Just, I'm not there, is, there is 281 of them, and I was the 80, 281st one. Yes. So I arrived in Zimbabwe, in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, second largest city in Zimbabwe. Never in a million years did I think there would even be there white people, but there I didn't think it would be Jewish people there. So I show up, and it's a, an Orthodox community. There's one shul there, and the, you know the men are separate from the women. And so I show up, and it's great because like it's instant community, it's instant uh, comfort and familiarity. And here I am in a foreign land, trying to play a professional sport, and I just had the the pleasure of being instantly connected to the entire Jewish community there. There's 281 Jews there, well, um, 280, and then 281 when I arrived. And the funny thing is, like, I would go to shul on Friday night, and I would go on Saturday every now and then, but there weren't that many. I guess, young Jewish people there. So when I showed up, I'm not joking here, literally after like Shabbat services, parents would be lining up their daughters for me, like to meet me. Like I was like their ticket out of Zimbabwe. And it was like the best moment of my life because I'd be able to like, you know, oh, you're nice to know. Meet my daughter, meet my daughter, meet my daughter. Because you're just like American import coming to Africa to play soccer. And they're going to whisk their daughter away and become like Jewish. I don't know. And he's Jewish. But that was really, what? And they, oh, you know, and they, oh, it's great. And then the mother say, and he's Jewish. Right, exactly. Even better. That was a really interesting experience because I was living, I was living with a white Zimbabwean Jewish family that were affluent. Yet I was playing in uh, the traditional Zimbabwean league, and you know, working out and hanging out with the locals, and which was in oh. a, an, an area that wasn't as affluent, obviously, as the Jewish area. So I got in a really interesting experience over there. Um, to experience kind of the whole, that whole movement. I mean, I was one of two white people on the team and on the entire league. You know, I'd walk into those stadiums and there's literally three or four white people, no Jews. There's, I mean, they've basically never met a Jewish person before. It's like an alien to them. Um, so it was really interesting. And are you going back uh, these days? Uh, I haven't been going back to Zimbabwe that much, but since we're in all, you know, of all these countries, I kind of, you know, whenever I can get back to Africa, I'll go back. And, you know, to be uh, honest, like, I have time, you know, I don't know if you have time, but there's a really interesting experience I had on Survivor Africa, which is the first time I played, where I never really thought my religion would come into play, but it did. So you're allowed to bring please. two T-shirts, and, and yeah. one of my T-shirts was my Maccabee USA t-shirt. That's what I wore. It's what I chose. It's my t-shirt to wear on, you know, national television in front of 32 million people per week back in the day. And so I got on this show. I'm wearing this shirt, and they put me in a tribe with this guy named Big Tom, Big Tom Buchanan. He's from Saltville, Virginia. He never met a Jewish person before. And I had never met anyone who's never met a Jewish person before. And so here we are in this tribe together, and Tom was definitely treating me treating me differently than kind of the other players on Survivor. And, you know, it kind of pissed me off. And there's this one challenge where we pooled our money together and we bid on a mystery plate of food. And mm. the host of the show, Jeff Probst, unveils this mystery plate of food. And it's just, it's ham, it's bacon. And then it was like pancakes and, and eggs. But Tom jumps up yeah. out of here. He's like, he's a Jew boy. He's a Jew boy. He won't eat the ham. He's a Jew boy. And so, like, this was a really, you know, interesting situation because it kind of pissed me off 
And I could have tried to vote Tom off because that would be like the, the easy thing to do. But I realized that I needed Tom to get further in the game together. So all of a sudden I had to figure out how can I work with this guy that's clearly prejudiced towards Jewish people and make this into like a positive situation. So, you know, I ended up, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a quote guy. So I remember that quote, like, I do not like that man. Therefore I must get to know him better. It's by Abraham Lincoln. So I realized once I got, like, I took the time to get to know him, to educate him, to teach him about the foods we eat, the holidays we celebrate, the rules of our culture. And so it kind of broke down that barrier and it gave a bridge to understanding and empathy. And we ended up going to the end of the game together. And Tom is still one of my close friends today. <laughs> really? So I think, yeah. So like I, it's, I, you know, you don't expect to have these moments in the construct of a crazy game like Survivor, but it was real and it happened. And like some people criticized me for the way I acted. Other people celebrated the way I acted because I just kind of laughed it off at the moment. But behind the scenes, I was working hard to get Tom to like really kind of, you know, connect with me. Yeah. And I think about myself, I never took the time to get to know him. Like I would have missed out of having a good friend for the past 20 years. So uh, it's really interesting how the this game might, interacts with your real life. <laughs> well, this might be a, somewhat of a heavy question, but do you think the, that story was well represented on TV? I think it was a different time. I don't think that would ever fly in today's game. Or if it did, mm-hmm. it would have been, been made a, a very, it would have been more of a public issue, I think. Uh, yeah. Did they do a good job? They did a good job showing the kind of the, the cutesy, humorous part of that versus like the weighty, like really what was going on here. Like, is he prejudiced? Does he just not know? Um, it, is it kind of, it's not, it wasn't coming out of a place of hatred and malice. It was just kind of uh, coming from a place of not knowing. Like he never met anyone like me before. He had only read and heard rumors about what Jewish people are like. He comes from a town where there's a 24 people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't fault him for that, but I could educate him on me and us and our tribe. I mean, that's a, a really powerful message. I mean, unfortunately, very relevant today, but can continue. To Correct. Yeah, um, I do a lot of like speaking to young Jewish groups. Like I'm leaving on, I'm going to Michigan to go to BBYO on Friday. And that's part of my whole story is like, because I'm sure in today's day and there's a lot of, there's an increase in just, I think, negative association with Jews and Jewish people, and people may not be as excited to not, say, advertise their, their religion, but just might be shy or embarrassed or ashamed or afraid of the consequences of coming, letting people know they're Jewish. So I feel like to be a positive role model in the Jewish community is important to me, and just to send the message that, listen, like, you know, if someone's not liking you, you know, take the time to get to know them a little bit better, and then maybe you can find a bridge to understanding and at least understand where each person came from and how you may be able to work together in a, in a, in a way if you have to in a work environment, oh. sport environment, anything. So believe it or not, we actually have a lot of non-Jewish listeners of this show who oh, reach out to us and talk about all these sort of interesting things they're learning about Judaism and Jewish people and sort of a culture they weren't necessarily exposed to so much. And that's really a lot of what we're trying to do. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that belief. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the game Survivor itself, I mean, let's be honest, it was being Jewish that helped me win. I mean, fasting is not really a problem. I do that once a year anyway, right? <laughs> you know, like eating nasty foods. You know, I've had to 
gefilte fish jelly and borscht and chopped liver. And like I had already endured the most grueling test of strength and perseverance known to man, my bris. Right. <laughs> so there you go. I'm already a survivor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely. And you studied for your bar mitzvah. So you know exactly, you know how to learn <laughs> new languages and, and work in front of a crowd. Exactly. Yeah, I could work a crowd because of my bar mitzvah. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, we'd we'd love to have you back on some time. If you're ever in Canada, please come say hi. I don't know what work ever brings you to Toronto, but um, love to do this in person or, or take some pictures together. Yeah, I'm good buddies with the, the – do you know the house in Toronto? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a Jewish organization. I did. Uh, I spoke there a couple of years ago at a thing called JetX, which is like the Jewish TEDx. Um, hmm. But yeah, I, I'm in, I might be heading back up to uh, Toronto, um, probably around July 4th, 5th, 5th time. So I might be up there that time. Ken, Ethan, really appreciate you coming on. Um, this was a, a really fascinating, a lot of really fascinating stories and, and really powerful experience you had. Um, and we, I mean, we didn't talk very much about your your battle with cancer but uh uh we'd love to another time and share more about that but this is i mean this was a, a extremely enlightening and, and absolutely fascinating so thank you very much well thanks for having me and uh you know i love the concept of mensch warmers keep me in the loop well thank you so much to ethan zahn for that lively and exciting conversation um it's really kind of blown away alex by that larry david anecdote um, the fact that multiple people read for the part of yeah, it was, <laughs> of the survivor, <laughs> of, fake of the non-survivor survivor. survivor exactly. Yeah. That that's really terrific. But I understand why having a Jewish guy would be less. Fun. Oh, the scene would have read totally differently because yep. either he's totally oblivious, which is just like a bad look for a nice Jewish boy. Yeah, or, or he's, he's not, and he's yeah. <laughs> There's no way that goes well. Which would also be really bad. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, good for him. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show again. Yep, and, much appreciated. Uh, we'd love to have you again anytime, Ethan. Um, Alex, I think you wanted to sort of share a bit of an anecdote, something that that was notable to you in the world of Jewish sports. Oh yeah. Um, well, now that you're on the guest here, you, I'm giving you the floor. Uh, our regular listeners uh, might remember an episode we did a while back about non-Jewish athletes with curious relationships to Judaism. Uh, so, for example, Antonio Brown has a synagogue in his house. He said that's where his Jewish friends bless up. And I think we're never <laughs> going to forget. That was like the highlight of the episode. Yeah. Um, and I think A-Rod did Kabbalah from when he was dating Madonna, stuff like that. But yep. some of you may have heard there's a wide receiver who's going to be taken pretty early in the upcoming NFL draft from Alabama Crimson Tide. His name is Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy. And he wears an enormous Megan David necklace, a Star of David necklace, because I guess his name's like Jerry the Jew. So he was like asked, that. are you Jewish? Is that why, you know, you wear this? Yeah. And he said, no, I'm not Jewish, but it's my name. So Jew has just been my nickname forever. Yeah. So I'm choosing to embrace it. And I think it's a, our duty as the Mensch Warmers and you Jewish Jewish sports fans out there in Radio Land to embrace him as well. And the same way we're embracing Tommy Jew of the St. Louis yep. Cardinals, Jerry Judy of the whatever team he gets drafted, formerly Alabama Crimson Tide. Maybe the both of them can come on our show together. Sometime. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? Jerry, Judy, and... Uh, what if he ends up on St. Louis's football team? Oh, oh <laughs> Yikes. Um, but maybe Jerry, Judy, and uh, Tommy Jew would like to have this conversation with us sometime about life being named <laughs> Open Jew. Open invite. 
No, open it by Tombola, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Jerry Judy, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's. He, I know some people were saying, like, should we be offended about this? And no, like, I think he's embracing it. I yeah. think we got to embrace it. He likes it. He knows He knows that it's a Jewish symbol. Yeah. And he, he wants... He seems to be proud of it. Absolutely. It's like, it's like the Ajax fans... Um, or the Tottenham fans who are just huge Zionists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> maybe they're... maybe not the ones who chant Yid at each other, maybe but not. the the ones who love Israel. Yeah, sure. What the hell? <laughs> the uh, let's do it. Uh, we'll, we'll welcome. So uh, thanks, Jerry Judy, for being part of the tribe, and thanks for giving us another athlete to talk about when it's football season. Absolutely, there's Other than Judy and Edelman. Julie, sorry, Judy and Ed- Edelman. <laughs> you can tell. Uh, yeah, no, it counts. Julian Edelman, who uh, uh, our producer uh, tells us is awaiting his bar mitzvah. Yeah, I think I think that's what's happening. Oh, good for him. We, <laughs> I guess he's, he's, he's embracing it too. I remember learning. I hope it's not one of those BS synagogues where the rabbi reads the Parsha and then the kid. Is that, is that a thing? That's Does a that thing. happen? And the kid just sort of explains it. Ethan Zahn didn't have a bar mitzvah like that. No, I think Ethan Zahn <laughs> had a real serious bar mitzvah. Uh, maybe at Burning Man. I, uh, maybe he is, he, every time he goes to Burning Man is sort of a re-bar mitzvah. But amongst, you know, the, the freaks and Is Burning Man weirder, just... Like a bar society. mitzvah party for adults? I well, think it's a Purim party for, for adults. We've already pretty, agreed, yeah, but it could be a bar mitzvah. I, I bet you at any given Burning Man, there's somebody out there bar mitzvahing people. Yeah. Like no, you want to have a Burning Man bar mitzvah, you become a bar, you become the man who burns. That would make a lot of sense. I'm looking up Julian Edelman. He says he's studying for it. So hopefully that means he's actually going to be reading. Yep. Hopefully he's, he's really, uh, uh, really doing the Hebrew and not just sort of the, the bit. Well, um, sorry, did you know he's written a children's book that references modern-day Zionism founder Theodore Herzl? No. What's his? <laughs> what's the book called? I don't know. He went on a birth trial. But okay. He well, he's on, a football player, so he, you can say he really puts the hurt back in Herzl. <laughs> That's a good. One. I'm gonna look this up. This is. He's really like I. We knew he was buying into his Judaism because uh, his mother's not Jewish, but his father is, so he wasn't mm. necessarily raised Jewish. But I wonder, like, maybe it's living in Boston. Robert Kraft, maybe Nate Ebner's been. I think I think it's a combination of Mr. Kraft, Nate and also Ebner. getting notoriety for it from the Jewish community. Absolutely, he wears an Israel pin at games, yeah. as does Ebner. Um, so it's sort of a, a happy snowball effect of all those. It's another light. The shamash of Judaism is lighting another Flying NFL player. Flying high. Now, there's also Mitchell Schwartz of the Kansas City Chiefs, recent Super Bowl champion. Congratulations again to him. But Jerry Judy, you're in good company. Um, we'd love to have you on and talk about it. Um, maybe hear the whole story one day after you get drafted. If you're on the media tour, we're calling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that should just about do it for the mentorers uh, on this 13th of Adar. Uh, happy Purim once again. Um, we are the mentorers, the Jews in Sports and Schtissel Recap Podcast. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on or McGillow Week Recap Podcast. This week. Just this week, yeah. Make sure you got your Gregors out. You can find us on Twitter at Menchwarmers. You can also follow the CGN Podcast Network wherever you get your social media. And of course, wherever you get your podcast, follow the Menchwarmers, like us, rate us five stars, leave us a message, a rating, a review. We want people to know about us. We want other people to enjoy this episode. Absolutely. Show, as much as I'm sure you have. Um, and spread the message of Ethan's charity and his uh, battle with cancer and... All of those good things, too. You know, he was such a mensch. Yeah, no. He's he, a real mensch. I knew, even before you said it, yeah. I'm like, the title of this episode is going to be Ethan Zone, a.k.a. that Jewish guy from Survivor, is putting the mensch in mensch. Putting warmers. the mensch. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 this episode really right titled itself. itself yeah. Absolutely. Um, and thanks again to Alex for uh, sitting in for this episode. It's fun to be on the other side of the recorder. I will say, because um, I usually produce this show and sit here and listen to you guys, 
Time flies a lot faster when you're hosting than when you're producing. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Yeah, we really uh, zip through these bits. Um, but I, I really appreciate you being on here, Alex. You know, our comedy just goes just goes <laughs> like that. We just You ever sat through a Jerry Seinfeld set? It takes like five minutes, but you're, you're done for an hour. I wrote about a Jerry Seinfeld set when he opened the UJA AGM. <laughs> so, really? He yeah. opened the... Wow. Yeah, what yeah was a year and a half like? ago. It was just his new special, I think. Okay. Um, it was funny. I don't know. One of the... <laughs> I remember one of them was that like... Does golf? he get offered to do that gig every single year? Um, well, he Seth Meyers was supposed to do it, but then he pulled out for Sebastian Maniscalco. James Corden did it a few years ago. But they're, they're not big Jewish. No, but Sebastian Maniscalco, I think his wife is Jewish, so he has a bit about Jewish food. And- uh, you know, my mom asked me about him yesterday, just if I found him funny. Do you? No. I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't so much about it. <laughs> Uh, so Seinfeld, tell, let's hear the Seinfeld okay, on the golf. I, I don't remember much more. I just said golf. He's like, I figured it out. Golf, it's an acronym. It stands for get out, leave forever. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, he has a, an older bit about golf, which my uh, wife-to-be really jokes about all the time, which is that watching golf on TV, if you were to describe it as the worst sounding sport, it's just little white ball, big green field, little white sky, big white sky, little white ball, smaller green field. And that's all of golf on Little TV. black hole, yeah. Yeah, little black hole. That's it. Just a little white ball, big blue sky. But it does, um, it's very easy to watch. I find, like, I'm not a big golf fan, but if it's on, like, you just turn it on, you don't need to know anything about it. Oh, it's yeah. It's just the simplest thing to follow. And the, the dulcet tones of the commentator's yeah. voices. And going to a live golf tournament is like that, too. Everybody's whispering, the occasional swing. Just a, and now we're here on 18, where Alex Rose will bring us home on this podcast. Thanks for listening and for him some Once again, uh, to Larry Tannenbaum, if you are listening, we're available for interviews at any time. Have a good night, everyone.